This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We are back with Joshua P. Warren, and we're talking about uh, cymatics. We're also, in a moment, going to talk about the Miraculous Prayer Board, but I just wanted to mention one more thing about uh, parasymatics. And um, one of the things that comes to mind is the power of intention. And I'm wondering if, uh, and I'm thinking about, uh, I think it was uh, the, the Japanese, uh, uh, was it Emoto, uh, using uh, water and the power of intention on water and how you could change the crystalline structure of the water. Uh, I'm wondering if, uh, because that's the medium you use, right, to capture these sound waves and then you take an image of that from the water, correct? That's what I'm doing. Yes, yeah. that's right. I'm wondering if you could infuse that water with like a a good luck sigil. Uh, and then, you know, if you're drinking that every day, it would be interesting to see what would happen. It's so funny you say that. And, and, and by the way, I, I want to point out, I have so much content. The easiest way to actually find these sigils is just to go to joshuapwarren.com. Uh, there's no period after the P. If you go to joshuapwarren.com and scroll down, you'll find these different sigils uh, for free, and you can click a link that will take you to the page with all the other sort of extra new updated stuff. Um and the $100 bill sigil in particular is on the Curiosity Shop page that I have. And it's interesting that you, again, say this, Richard. I'm not that surprised, though, because that was one of the things that also fascinated me. Uh, I was able to interview Masaru Emoto. Uh, of course, he's deceased now, but I had to use a Japanese translator, and he told me about you know his work that was featured in the movie What the Bleep Do We Know?, in which, of course, he was finding that there is some relationship between water and the power of intention, and that it makes sense if you consider that a human being is primarily made of water and empty space. I mean, if if you squeezed all the water and empty space out of a person, you'd end up with a something that maybe is about the size of a pea, you know, that you could roll between your fingers. And so there's not much to us other than water and empty space. We live on a water-based planet. What is it that we're looking into when we look out at, at outer space? You know, we're trying to find water because we always say, Water is what one of the fundamental components of life as we understand it. So it makes sense that whatever we are and whatever consciousness is has this intimate relationship with water. And so right now I am doing some experiments. I mean today, like literally today, when this interview uh, is is over, this is it's, I, I, it's so weird. I ordered a bunch of stuff. That uh, I don't want to go into it just yet, but but I am doing experiments taking some combinations 
uh, very specific intention labels and water like Masaru Emoto was doing, but combining it with Parasymatics 2.0 to see if I can get some really distinctive results. And, and again, one of the reasons that this gets criticized is that it's not quite it's not quite science because the human being is involved, uh, but it also is a great representation of the challenges that we face trying to, to discuss what reality is because reality is, is actually a human experience. You can call yourself a scientist and you can use some instrument that some other human built or that you built yourself, but it's still a human-based endeavor. And so that's where the art part of all this comes in. And so um, that, that I think that's why this is so interesting to people, but it's so complex. It blurs that distinction between the subjective and the objective and how far we can take it in either direction. Right. And, and, and uh, as you mentioned, the, that doc, that fabulous uh, documentary, What the Bleep Do We Know? One of the things that, you know, was really stressed in that documentary is because of the, the experiment, the, the, uh, the observer has an effect on that which is being observed. And, and so, and we can't, we can't sort of separate ourselves out of that. So, Merely observing something affects its behavior. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this. This is fascinating. Just, just the name of it is so compelling. A miraculous prayer board. What are you working on, Joshua? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, of course, for years have been studying this whole idea of manifestation. And for me, uh, that's really what we're what we're talking about when it comes to parasymatics. We're talking about the way that energy can be transformed from one form into another, and especially from what is usually invisible to us into something that's tangible and visible within this little narrow spectrum that we consider our reality. I mean, humans are very egocentric, and we only experience a sliver of what's around us, and yet we think that's all that exists. And so what we really are interested in is how that things change frequency from physical to non-physical and back and forth. And so uh, that's why it's, you know, wishing machines, radionics, magic, all these things. Uh, I know that it's easy to sort of roll your eyes, but hey, if you believe that there may be visitors coming here from another planet, well, they obviously are breaking our physical laws in some way, uh, in ways that we're not aware of. And so they're, they, they know how to transform and transduce energies. If you believe that there are ghosts or spirits or angels or God or gods, any of these spiritual things, you have to realize, well, if you can't see them standing in front of you, like, like I am, then, but you believe they're there, well, then that means that there is some kind of a gap between the frequency of physical and non-physical. So manifestation devices are there to help you breach that gap. And the Miraculous Prayer Board is a very, very simple tool that seems to do amazing things. And uh, this actually was invented by a friend of mine who is a psionics researcher named Tom Vrilock. He invented the original version of this, and then he gave me permission to create 
my version of this, which is the one that I have on my website on uh, at joshuapwarren.com. So basically, I'm holding one in my hands right now. And here's what it looks like. It is a six inch by six inch, beautiful, shiny black acrylic plate. And it has got a copper strip that goes through the middle. And it has some radiating uh, copper strips. So it kind of looks a little bit like a solar panel. The whole thing is conductive. So if you put your one thumb on one side of this and one thumb on the other side of this, you're literally conducting energy from the right hand to the left hand or vice versa. So I have a video on my website where you can see this is a conductive plate. But as the energy goes through, it passes through the middle of an 18-karat gold hexagon. Now, a hexagon is one of these shapes that goes back into sacred geometry and magical practices for thousands of years. And then directly in the middle of the whole thing is a genuine quartz crystal. And so the energy, as you put your, your hands on either side of this, is passing through the middle of this on this electrical circuit, but right in the heart of it, you have this gold hexagon and the quartz crystal, which is taking on some level that electrical charge from your body that electrical flow, and turning it into a vibration. That's what quartz does naturally. It takes electricity and turns it into a vibration, or it takes a vibration and turns it into electricity. The idea is that you put your hands on either side of this, and then you pray. Now, you might say, wait a second. Why do I need this board to pray? Well, you see, the, the, the thing is, most people, or at least many people, they pray by putting their hands directly together. Now, why do we do that? You know, if you look back historically, why do we associate the praying hands with this process of manifestation? It's because we are closing a bio circuit by putting our hands together. Hmm. You're doing the same thing here, except now you have this same exact flow going through this circuit. And so the idea is that when you are praying, you are actually trying to manifest. Uh, humans have always had sort of low self-esteem, and and we try to you know enslave each other and distract each other and and and, and mislead each other, and so we we are not very good at thinking of ourselves as being creators. So in the past, we've always had to think, well, maybe there's a god out there somewhere who will do this for me. So we, we've always envisioned it that way. So we call that prayer, and that works for people. And it's a good visualization. Now, however this works, it's still a form of manifestation. And what we have found with our experiments is that when you use one of these boards, that your praying is much more effective. And I think all that means is, uh, and I know some people may get offended because they say, oh, man, you know, you're trying to take prayer and you're putting some kind of weird mystical spin on it. But prayer is mystical. Uh, it, you know whether you realize it or not, it is mystical. It, it is the concept of your mind trying to communicate directly with the mind of whatever you think of as some deity. Sounds like and, maybe this is just amplifying prayer. 
Amplify. I think that's what it, that's what it's doing. I mean, that's the idea. This you are an electrical machine, and so the miraculous prayer board, even though it's a sensational name, is designed to magnify what you're doing when you pray. So again, it's one of these things, Richard. That's it's a little you know, it's 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 novel and it's weird and it's hard to 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 sort of describe. But I I think that you you know you make a good point. It's it's there to magnify what you do if you already pray. All right, let's take another quick time out. We'll come back and um, uh, circle back to the Miraculous Prayer Board and other matters, an uptick in paranormal uh, activity, perhaps, we'll discuss with Joshua P. Warren right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. And we are back with Joshua P. Warren, joshuapwarren.com, the website. And we were talking about the Miraculous Prayer Board. Um, So how do you use it? The great thing about this is it's so compact and lightweight. I even take it with me when I travel. But on a daily basis, I keep this board next to my door, uh, like the main door by the entrance to my, my house or my condo, wherever I happen to be. And before I walk out the door, I see it there. And I pause. And I just put my fingers on either side. My I use my thumbs. I put my. I have a little video on my website that shows you the the technique that I like to use. Put my thumb on either side. I close my eyes, and for five to ten seconds, I pray. And I actually, when when I, I wrote a small ebook, it's it and it, it says the key to effective prayer, and that comes with one of these. And I use the technique in the ebook, and I take five to ten seconds, and basically you can envision what you want your day to look like in a very specific way or a very general way. It's up to you. Uh, do, you know, you do whatever you would normally do, or, or you know, the things that you would like to see happen. Um, and you also can, you know, you can send good vibes to other people, and then. You know, after five or ten seconds, I go, done, you know, and I'm in, and then I walk out the door. And then when I come back in, I will do the same, except this time it's always, you know, gratitude for sure because I made it back home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, small miracles. Uh, now, do you have to pray out loud? I don't. Uh, I think it's fine, whatever works for you. I'm not sure if – if it makes a big difference, I mean, I, I imagine it, it would make some difference to actually speak the words because that that's a part of magical tradition. Um, in fact, I, uh, you know, m- magical stuff is, is so weird because we have thought of it as, as a bunch of hooey for so long that now we're having to rethink it because we're learning more and more about how the universe is composed and quantum mechanics. And we're starting to see these things that used to be unimaginable, like, you know, a picture of a black hole. I mean, look, for, for so long, that was just some kind of unimaginable thing. And yet you can have some scientists nowadays who can say, well, um, this this is some extremely dense part of the universe that bends everything like a lens and not even light can escape it. And that's how a scientist would explain it. But if you talk to somebody who lived thousands of years ago, they might say, 
there is a gateway out there to another reality. You know, there is a gigantic pathway that what maybe that's what people talk about when they talk about the tunnel of light. And so we we're we're kind of re-envisioning what all of these sort of mystical things may be in a modern light. And so, for example, when it comes to magic, the idea was always that you can have I you know you can have stuff in your head. But when you speak it out into the world, then it turns into a physical vibration. And that's why certain names were sacred, like the name of God. And, or you could conjure up some kind of, uh, of an evil spirit. And often these spells that people would use were sort of nonsensical, like bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, you know, that kind of stuff, abracadabra. And the reason is, number one – when you start speaking a bunch of nonsense, then it distracts the logical side of your brain and it frees up the creative side of your brain. So you go into another brain state, which is the more creative manifesting uh, brain state. And then furthermore, um, sometimes well, all you're doing is communicating a, a pure vibration that is not limited to a specific cultural language. So it's not like the magic has to be in English or in German or in Spanish or in Chinese or whatever. You know, if you tap into something that's magical, it transcends language. And so you are expressing that vibration uh, in a very pure manner. And so these are all reasons that, you know, you could argue that maybe speaking it has more effectiveness, but I usually do it silently. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about this new footage you have of uh, ghostly phenomena and whether there might be an uptick in paranormal activity right now. We'll get to that in just a moment. Joshua P. Warren, my guest right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. It is time to redefine reality. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. So what is this new footage of, uh, of ghostly phenomena you have, Joshua? Well, because that I am from North Carolina and I have a museum and laboratory and ghost tours and all that there, um, I get a lot of interesting footage from North Carolina in particular. It, it makes sense. People know I'm the guy to go to. Plus, um, the mountains there around Asheville, North Carolina are the oldest mountains in North America, and there's a lot of uh, very dramatic history. So I have two pieces of footage from Western North Carolina that have been uh, captured just recently that I, I think are, are just amazing. And I've done everything I can to to validate and verify these because I cannot stand hoaxes and fakes and exaggerations. You might think that I would be super open to this, but I'm not. If you go to my website, joshuapwarren.com, I have clips posted uh, there's a link to my curiosity shop. Obviously, I advertise my curiosity shop by putting cool new clips and stuff there. If you scroll down, you'll see two clips there on the curiosity shop page. One of them is uh, – I'll tell you first about the one from 
an old building which just became a dueling piano bar five years ago. This building has had a reputation for being haunted in Asheville, North Carolina for uh, about close to 100 years. They, they say that it really goes back to the Spanish influenza when dead bodies were being stored um, right next door. And the owners of this new dueling piano bar, they have been having all kinds of uh, experiences with, with shadow beings moving around, uh, people singing, hearing footsteps. And so uh, last January – just you know, of this past January of 2019, at 8:30 in the morning, after everybody had gone—I mean, the whole staff had been gone for four hours—they have this video footage showing the back door of this place. I mean, this is one of these big, heavy back doors that can only be opened from the inside by pushing the—they call it a crash bar. This door swings open, the alarm goes off, and then the door swings back. ADT security actually said that there that, that alarm was triggered. Uh, I mean, and you can hear the alarm very clearly on the footage. The alarm was triggered by that door, and that the only way that door could have been opened was from the inside. And it's really impressive to see, you know, physical evidence like that. But this, but the next clip that you see there is the one that really just gets me excited. Uh, I have an online paranormal course, uh, and it's a paranormal uh, investigation course. And so, one of my students is, is a guy named Daniel Hurst, and he's with a, a group called M and D Paranormal. And I just like to point that out because I love it when people who graduate from my course capture stuff like this. He was doing an investigation in North Carolina uh, at a place. This was a private residence, uh, so I won't give too much information about it. But, uh, but basically, one of the big things was they would hear these heavy footsteps going down this hallway. And so Daniel and his crew set up all of their equipment and they recorded this stunning piece of video footage, which this is in night vision. And right at the spot where these footsteps are heard, you actually can see, and this was, I think like maybe two o'clock in the morning, you actually see through the infrared camera, the ghostly footsteps appear one after the other, walking along the floor. Oh, my. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. I've been doing this kind of investigation for a good 25 years now. I've never seen – I mean, I, I've heard footsteps plenty of times, but I've never actually seen the footprints appear in succession. Boom, boom, boom. Like the, the, These are just two recent pieces of footage that I got that I uploaded. And I mean, I, I know Daniel very well. I've been in the, in the field with him. I've investigated with him. Uh, I mean, we are, we, he's, he's a friend of mine. Okay. So I know this guy, I trust this guy. I know the source. I have met the owners of this dueling piano bar on a number of occasions. And, you know, I, I have individuals I know who are vouching for what you're seeing here. And I, so I believe you're looking at authentic proof of ghostly phenomena. And this is some very fresh stuff. And it seems to me 
I don't know if you would agree, but it seems to me that there is an uptick in in activity, paranormal activity, because you mentioned the, you know, the closed circuit security cameras. And there is just so much now on on YouTube, for example, even it makes it into the uh, the eyewitness news package in a lot of cities now as closed circuit security camera footage of paranormal activity or ghostly apparitions and so forth. What's going on? Well, you know, I predicted a long time ago that this would happen, that we would start getting more and more evidence of, of paranormal phenomena and people would start accepting it because you can see right now we, we, we've been waiting for a while for this fad to end, you know, for people to get tired of this paranormal stuff. It's the opposite. There are more programs on TV, more radio shows and podcasts, more ghost tours and, and haunted places, more sales uh, at Halloween time. This is becoming more and more accepted because it's real and we have had to wait for there to be enough evidence. We have enough cameras out there now that this is not something that just paranormal investigators who are, you know, kooky people out in the field are dragging in. Everybody is getting to see now on their 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 baby cams, their door cams, their security cams. They're getting to see that these things are real, that they are happening all around. And the more we see that and the more we therefore understand that it's real and believe that it's real well then the more we become aware we start you know paying a little more attention we become a little more interactive with the environment and i think that that also increases the activity but something else that we're doing at an unprecedented rate is that we are we're disturbing the earth's ionosphere and therefore it's electromagnetic and electrostatic realm even more than ever um i mean for decades now we've had projects like like harp that who, who knows how far they've gone with that just earlier this month there was a project in norway it was a nasa project called azure the auroral zone upwelling rocket experiment where they shot rockets up into the ionosphere and they dumped chemicals and who knows what things they broadcast to create these crazy luminous ghostly like you know and ufo like patterns in the sky over norway we are we're getting out there now and we are mixing up the electromagnetic and electrostatic variables of planet earth in a way that has never been done before and so if you combine our newfound awareness because of our cameras and our sensitive miniaturized technology with our ability to go into space and start actually stirring up this entire environment within which these things exist that is a combination for just an ever accelerating process of of paranormal manifestation and so a lot of the stuff that sounds crazy today will not at all be crazy in five or ten years just like some of the stuff that was crazy you know ten years ago is not such a big deal anymore i don't think i've ever heard anyone explain uh the phenomenon that way that's that's fascinating uh we've just got about 30 seconds here what what uh, new projects are you working on I just opened up a brand new tour in Las Vegas. It's called Creepy Vegas. It's ghosts, 
UFOs, all the paranormal stuff here. So if you're going to be in the Vegas area anytime soon, I hope you'll visit creepyvegas.com. Come come on out, you know, visit us, see me. We'll show you one heck of a time. And uh, But in the meantime, I hope you'll just go to joshuapwarren.com, click around, try out some of the free sigils, and uh, you can always contact me through the website, and uh, I read every single message that comes in. Can't thank you enough for spending some time with me. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you, Richard. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Okay, that's it for us. My thanks to Owen Wolf and Ryan White. Back next week with 60 true police stories of divine guidance, miracles, and intuition with Detective Sergeant Ingrid Dean. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Mark Biltz is with me, the author of Decoding the Antichrist and the End Times, What the Bible Says and What the Future Holds. Uh, before we proceed, uh, Pastor, how do people get a copy of the book and where can they get more information on your ministry? Oh, great. Yeah. Well, they can just Google my name, Mark Biltz. And one of the first websites will come up will be ours, which is El Shaddai Ministries. Uh, and if they want, they can just Google www.elshaddaiministries.us for United States. They'll come right to our website. And we have a bookstore online where they can get the book. They can also get it uh, at christianbookdistributors.com. That'll be cheaper mailing for those in Canada. Uh, or Amazon, I believe, also carries the book. What do you say to uh, skeptics who don't believe in an antichrist, uh, they, they don't believe in an end times. What would you say to them uh, in an attempt to convince them? Well, basically, I start off saying then they're fulfilling prophecy because there was a prophecy that that would happen. <laughs> you know, so I say, hey, great, you're a living part of prophecy. Let me show you that uh, that people think that. But what I like to do is usually people that think that are people who don't even believe in God. Uh, now, there are some who believe in God that say, oh, he's not coming back for another million years. Well, for one thing, it doesn't matter if you die tomorrow, uh, you know, uh, whether he comes in a year or 10 years, that's not going to matter for you as an individual. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot of ways that I have to convince people in the reality of God uh, in the fact that he's coming back very soon. Now, a very controversial, I won't say controversial, but it's different um sects within the Christian world uh, differ on this point, and that has to do with something called the tribulation. The idea that that God, uh, that um, uh, Bible believing Christians will be spared uh, the tribulation or the you know the, the well the tribulation and Jacob's troubles because they will be um, they will be sort of swept, raptured. yes raptured and swept up into heaven. Where do you stand on the uh, on this idea of the rapture? Well, as far as Bible-believing Christians won't experience tribulation, go tell that to the ones in China uh, who are experiencing massive persecution and tribulation. You know, so uh, as far as the—I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I believe that it will happen on the Feast of Trumpets some year. But when people say rapture, that implies timing. Will we be taken out at the beginning of the tribulation, the middle of the tribulation, or the end of the tribulation? Uh, and, and I think part of the problem within Christianity uh, is 
they they don't care about God's kingdom. They don't care about people's lives. They just want to get the heck out of here. You know, for for me, I just I don't I don't care if it's a pre, mid, or post. I know I just don't want to die before I finish the mission that God has for me. And if God has my mission to be here during the tribulation, well, hey, I believe this is the Super Bowl of human history. Everyone's looking at to this time. For me, it's don't take me out of the game, coach. Put me in. <laughs> you know, we're all going to die anyway. If I'm going to die, I want to go down swinging, not hiding behind a rock. Well, what's what's the tribulation going to be like for Christians, let's say, living in North America? Well, I, I think a lot of the people are going to be deceived. They're going to get swept up. And the Bible says God's going to bring this strong delusion because they do not love the truth and they want to believe this lie. So I think it, it, it uh, very well could be bad. You know, I don't know how bad it is in Canada, but they're really trying to push socialism here in the United States. Uh, and if that happens, we are really going to be in trouble. And, and I think the Christians need to realize we're like the frogs in the boiling pot of water right now in the United States. Uh, and I think I, I talked to a good friend of mine who's a Muslim that got saved recently because the Lord appeared to him on his deathbed and he got radically saved. And I asked him if he felt like the church in the United States was asleep. And he said, no, it's worse than that. They're in a coma. And, uh, I thought that was rather humorous, but I, I believe it's true. So many of the churches here in the United States are all seeker-friendly. Uh, they just want to dumb everything down, make everybody feel good, and the pastors become more life coaches uh, than they do uh, you know, prophets and, and trying to help people draw close to God. Well, we hear these horrific depictions uh, of you know, Christians being beheaded en masse. Could that happen yeah. here even in North America? Oh, well, I think it could, but it has, I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen in the next year or two, but I wouldn't put uh, anything past the, you know, within this next 10 years, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that did happen. And the, the mark of the beast, let's get back to that for a second. Do you have any, any, any sense on what that mark will be? Will it be, uh, some people think it's a barcode on, on the, uh, on the palm of your hand or on your forehead in order to buy or sell. I mean, that's, that's kind of a literal, uh, translation perhaps. What do you think the mark will be? Well, what's interesting is this, and, and I go into this, uh, book of mine. I really think King Solomon is the type of antichrist, not Christ. When it, it talks in Revelation about uh, it's the number of a man and the number is 666, and it says, here's wisdom. Well, Solomon is the only one associated with wisdom, and guess how much gold came into Solomon every year? 666, 666 talents of gold. But what's interesting, in Greek, every number is also a letter. And when people read the book of Revelation and they see the number 666, it's not Roman numerals. It's spelled out. It's a words. And in the Greek, the words are T, C, stigma. So it's, it's not speaking of a Roman numeral 666 or a barcode. The word in Greek means to receive a cut or an incision as proof of ownership. And, and so I, I believe it could be receiving some kind of a chip in in the you know in the for in the brain or in the hand uh, where they're not going to allow you to buy or sell you know it's uh, that that's what I believe is going to be happening. And uh, those who refuse to take the mark will will be forced, I guess, to basically fend for themselves, right? Yeah, they won't be able to buy or sell. What are they going to do for food? They better be able to 
have their own water well and uh, have a bunch of food stored up or something. But it's uh, the Chinese social credit score is incredible because what they're doing, they're not a lot. They have over a million, tens of millions of artificial intelligent cameras that are watching every single person do everything. And if, if, if you don't have a bad social media score, you're not allowed to even have a pet. They've already prevented millions of Chinese people from getting on a plane, getting on a train. Uh, and, and I believe with the socialism, uh, if a certain, you know, people in the government get in control, they're going to, matter of fact, there's a Democrat running for president out of New York named Andrew Yang. And he says uh, on his website, he wants to implement the Chinese social credit score here in America. And if we end up going that route, they're going to determine, uh, you know, who can travel and who can't. And so the Christians are will really be in a bind. How should Christians prepare? Well, I think the biggest thing, Richard, really is to draw close to the Lord. We have to realize we can't, I mean, we need to do whatever we can do practically to prepare. But the most important thing we need to do is to have knowledge, to wake up, to realize where we're at, and to be spiritually prepared more than anything, and draw close to the Lord and make sure your kids are drawn close. Because the millennials, that generation of the millennials, they're so far from God and have left church. If we're going to win them back, uh, we need to um, have the right tools to know how to reach them. And uh, if Christians survive the seven years of tribulation and the, uh, the, uh, the battle of Armageddon, uh, what then? Well, then the Lord's going to be here, and he's going to rule and reign, and I can hardly wait for that to happen. Uh, righteousness will prevail. It says that the knowledge of God will be as the waters cover the sea. Uh, and so then once the Lord is here physically on the planet and he's in control, then I think it's going to be a whole lot better for everybody. Once again, how do we get a copy of Decoding the Antichrist and the End Times? Yes, thank you. You can uh, Google my name, Mark Biltz, uh, on Amazon and get it from Amazon. You can get it from Christian Book Distributor, CBD.com. You can also go directly to our website, ltdiministries.us, and get the book. Pastor Biltz, thank you so much uh, for this, as always. Be well. All right. Thank you so much, Richard. Joshua P. Warren is next to discuss parasymatics and sigils. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM here in Toronto. And hello to those tuning into this radio program on one of our affiliate stations across North America. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Joshua P. Warren is standing by to discuss parasymatics and sigils. But before we get started, a couple of quick announcements. For those Patreon supporters in the Star Chamber and Whistleblower tiers, you're eligible for the exclusive monthly online chat with me, and that's happening tomorrow night, starting at 8 p.m. That's Monday, April the 29th. The online chat for the Whistleblower patrons on our Discord channel and Star Chamber patrons, the Google Hangout with me starts at 8.30 Eastern Daylight Time. Ryan White, my producer, would have sent you a link by now, so hope to see you all there. 
One final note. Our April winner of Strange Planet merchandise is Trevor Chapman of Brampton, Ontario. Trevor, you've won a copy of my Strange Planet Volume 2 CD, and that'll go out in the post this week. Congratulations. And you can become eligible for the monthly merch draws and the exclusive monthly online chats with me by going to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Consider becoming an official patron. Joshua P. Warren is here to discuss his new field of research called parasymatics and how his groundbreaking experiments led him to discover a method to create paranormal activity. Joshua has spent 20 years breaking ground in the paranormal. He began publishing at age 15. At age 25, Simon & Schuster published his book, How to Hunt Ghosts, now widely considered a classic in the field. In 2004, he made the cover of the science journal Electric Spacecraft for his work on the mysterious Brown Mountain Lights. He's the founder of Lemur Paranormal and the Asheville Mystery Museum. Joshua P. Warren, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me back, Richard. Uh, It's funny because every time we talk, it's almost like we we are never going to have enough time. So many new things are happening in the world. It's an exciting time. Well, that's the sign of a very busy, a busy man, namely you. And you have, we have so much to cram in, as you say, because so much is happening. First of all, I just want to mention, have you, have you permanently relocated to, to Las Vegas? Because, I mean, you still have the, you still have the museum, uh, in, in uh, in Asheville, right? I do. Well, I have my museum there, my laboratory. All my friends and family are primarily there. I mean, you know, Asheville is my home. So what I do is just sort of travel back and forth. And I, at this point, aside from special engagements and being in the field, I consider these my two homes. So I'm uh, I'm always sort of dividing my time between the East Coast and the West Coast. Well, talking talking about laboratories, Las Vegas, the desert, the Southwest. I mean, that's quite a laboratory for a paranormal normal investigator. Oh, it is. And in fact, uh, I'm in the process of building a new laboratory out here, which I don't want to be, um, you know, too ambitious and, and predicting when it'll be finished, but uh, maybe next year. And I love this desert climate. For one thing, the air is so dry. The electrostatic experiments that I do are just amazing. I mean, the, the lightning bolts and the various EM measurements that you can get here are, are very distinctive. But also, there's just a lot of natural wonder, and you have all of this UFO activity, and it seems like every month, there's some kind of new UFO story breaking here. So it's a cool time to be here in the uh, Area 51 neck of the woods. Now, you uh, are the inventor of something called parasymatics. And now you've sort of updated that. You have you have even new a newer version. You call it parasymatics 2.0. But let's, for those not familiar with parasymatics, just take a few moments and explain what it is. Sure. Well, you know, I became fascinated years ago by how sometimes you would find some kind of a haunted object or possessed doll, for example, Robert the Haunted Doll down in Key West, and you would locate some kind of a a strange symbol 
on that object. Uh, and of course, since I have a museum, I'm always looking for interesting sort of spooky possessed possessions. And I noticed in particular, Robert, the haunted doll had this symbol that would only appear under UV light. And the story was always that he had been created by somebody with expertise in magic and rituals. And later I noticed that this little symbol, what a lot of people might call a magical sigil, looked very similar to some of the patterns that you can create using a technique called cymatics. And basically, this goes all the way back to the 1700s. There was a, a German scientist named Ernst Schladny who would sprinkle sand over these thin sheets of metal, and then he would run a violin bow down the side. And uh, it would create these patterns that look like snowflakes. These, and of course, nowadays we do this all the time using audio speakers. We create these amazing sort of shapes and water and and various sort of semi-liquid substances. And it shows us that you can create a vibration which transforms into shape. And so I wondered, hmm, what happens if you actually take something like water and you play a tone? And when you play that tone, you get the shape, but then you speak into that tone some kind of an intention and you get a snapshot of that whatever symbol if you will that mother nature creates so for example in my business you might say i want to attract a ghost or i want to see a ufo or i want to have more vivid dreams or i mean you could use it for anything it doesn't matter you know it doesn't have to be just spooky stuff you know i i would like to have more money in my life or a better relationship or whatever and then when this shape appears you you photograph it under different conditions infrared light ultraviolet light different kinds of laser lights print that symbol out and just Meditate on it or sort of keep it around you throughout the day and see what happens. So I made a bunch of these symbols this way, which I call parasymatics, because this was originally called the cymatics technique. So parasymatics. And basically, um, I put these on the internet for free. I put them on my website. And since then, and this has been probably about maybe three years ago, uh, I have gotten thousands of emails from people telling me about amazing things that have happened to them using this technique. So that was the that was the basic parasymatics technique. If you go to my website, you can still find all these symbols you can experiment with. But here, Richard, is where it moves into the brand new territory called Parasymatics 2.0. I was essentially in parasymatics trying to take tones and turn them into images. And so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if I could reverse this process and turn images into tones? So in other words, I might be able to take something like a crop circle or the pattern created by Stonehenge or the design of the Great Pyramids or even something like a $100 bill, which is some iconic symbol that we all have in mind. What if I could take one of these images and reverse it? You can see right off the bat how valuable that would be and how interesting that would be, I'm sure. Right, Richard? I Yes, but I'm, just help me out here. I'm trying to understand. So you're not saying that the pyramid emits sound. You're taking a picture and you're so it's the opposite of what you were doing before. So explain, let's take the example of a hundred dollar bill because I like money. Uh, so how does, how do you, how does this work now? Take the hundred dollar bill and how does that image then 
translate into a sound? So what I finally figured out, and this is at least where I am right now in the infancy of this very new type of research, I can take a picture of anything in the whole universe, which is that's one of the great things because I'll, I'll never be able to go to Mars. I don't think I would go to Mars if I could, to be honest with you, but I can take a picture of Mars and I can put it into my Parasymatics 2.0 uh, system. But if we take something that's it's a really nice iconic symbol that represents at least to us abundance here in this country, we take a $100 bill Put this into a, a, a – basically, there are two different ways you can do it. Uh, you want to oscillate this $100 bill or spin it or move it in some way. Um, and when you're moving this image, it creates its own kind of um, sort of blurry uh, circular shape. And then you hit that with a laser. And you scan the thing with a laser almost like it's a record, and the record is being scanned by the laser in the same way that the needle would scan a traditional record. So as this image is being scanned like a record, that laser then feeds into a special photoreceptive diode that takes the light from that laser and turns it into a sound, a pulse of sound. And those pulses of sound go into a computer. And so right there in real time, I'm able to record the sound that's coming off of the object, and I'm able to see what pattern it's creating. And then I can take that, if I want, and feed it back into my original parasymatic system to create a sigil. So what you end up with is any image out there in the whole wide world that can be not only transformed into a sigil, but also a tone. So in other words, you could now listen to the sound of a $100 bill and have a sigil that represents the $100 bill. So essentially, Richard, the idea here, and I don't know if this is the, the talk of a madman or not, but the idea is that what if every type of image out there has some, some kind of deeper coded message within it uh, in the same way that you know we, we look at something like a crop circle, for example, and we say, is there something we're missing here? Because if you look at sheet music, for example, if you're, if you're an alien and you look at some of Beethoven's sheet music, well, th this is just a bunch of dots on, on paper. You, know, you don't hear anything. You have to know how to scan it. So I'm trying to scan images like this in order to get these tones that might be around us encoded within nature. Now, uh, you're talking about a photograph of an image. So, I mean, how does – because they're all then two-dimensional images. How does the laser sort of differentiate a two-dimensional image of a, a pyramid with a two-dimensional image of, let's say, a $100 bill? Well, the image, of course, is the, the biggest issue of all because – this is partially art and partially science. And the reason I say this is because my big challenge whenever I'm going to try to scan something, uh, and it's a little easier if you have something like a $100 bill because it is already a two-dimensional image. But if you have something like the pyramids, well, there are many different perspectives that you could take on the pyramids. So what is the 
correct perspective? Do you want to show a picture of them from overhead or from standing far below or 50 miles away? So this is the thing that makes this especially sort of complex. It starts with with me having to choose a a good representative image. So this is immediately a subjective process right off the bat. And then I take that image and then I scan it and everyone has its own unique, I mean absolutely unique identity because no two pictures are, you know, identical. So you're going to find something like, a, you know, a DNA helix sounds a certain way. Uh hieroglyphs from the book of the dead sound a certain way. And so the artistic part of this is selecting the image and then the scientific part is extracting the tone from that image. But I'd like to see if there might come a, a day when we can do this more three-dimensionally by using models or possibly even something like uh, holograms. Okay, so the the $100 bill uh, sigil, for example, mm-hmm. uh, let's say you're hearing – now, does it work either way? Do you do you hear the tone? Is it the tone that works its wonders, or is it the the um, the sigil form of the one hundred dollar bill, or is it the audio form of the one hundred dollar bill? Well, since this is all experimental, I, I think it's nice to look at the different options because, for example, I have a friend who is a paranormal investigator, and he got really excited when he learned about this because he said, I want to send you a picture I took of a ghost. He says, a really good full-bodied apparition picture I took. He said, I want you to extract the tone from that, send that tone to me, and then when I go out in the field to investigate, I'm going to play that tone in the room where I'm investigating to see if that stirs up you know, something in the room. So in that case, the tone would be very, very valuable. However, if you want something like the $100 bill, you know, I guess you could sit around and meditate on the tone that's created by a $100 bill or have it playing in the background in your house. But the easiest thing would be to take the sigil from the $100 bill, uh, which is very easily available uh, on my website. And if you take that sigil, uh, maybe you'll have the luck that I did. Look, all this, all this stuff, uh, I, get I can tell you about my experiences and the experiences of other people. I, because I'm in Las Vegas right now, I have a tendency to try to break down some of this stuff in terms of gambling. Because, you know, it just it's an easy way of explaining probabilities. Um, because in, in, a, in a casino environment, Everything has a certain probability. This is supposed to happen. This is not supposed to happen. So I took the $100 bill sigil, and uh, I was actually on my way to the airport. Even here in Vegas, even the airport has slot machines all over it. And so I, I, this is the very first time I'd taken the $100 bill sigil. And uh, I put it right there in my wallet. You could put it anywhere. And as soon as I got to my gate – I had some time to kill, so I went over to a slot machine. I put $20 in the slot machine. I bet $1, nothing happened. I bet $2, and then boom, I hit $1,700. Mm. 
the lady who was attending the machines said to me that was the most money she has. She said, I've been doing this job for two years. She said, this is the most money I've ever seen anybody win off of a $1 bet because the maximum on that machine was like four or five bucks. So that was the very first time I used it. So since then, you know, I mean, once I put all this stuff on the internet for free, I mean, I've had people write me and tell me they've hit the lotto. I mean, this is this is very very common. I mean, and so, um, and again, it doesn't cost you anything to experiment with it. So this would be a case where it's handy to just sort of keep that with you. So it's nice to have the options to play with either the tone or the image. And again, this is all just you know experimentation. But can you imagine if there actually is some kind of meaning encoded in all the imagery around us that we can tap into and appreciate, just like you can take that sheet music that Beethoven left for us, and if you know how to properly interpret it, well, now you have music you can enjoy. Right. I mean, maybe you've tapped into sort of the matrix uh, of the universe, right? It's all about you know, they, the tones and, and numbers and, and, uh, you know, there is a school of thought that, that when God created the universe, he spoke the universe into existence. It's all sound waves. You know, I, I'm glad that you make that point, and I'm happy to have this conversation with you because this is not an easy concept to talk about. You know, I'm, I'm still kind of learning how to talk about it because it makes sense to me, but I know uh, this is not the, the way the average person thinks about the world. But then you bring up an example like that, and it's an excellent example. You're absolutely right because vibration and and tone is something that we you know we can't really see it but we can feel it and we can see that it manipulates matter and we're learning that so so well now that we're even weaponizing it uh you know there are more and more of these sort of energy based weapons that are being produced that can just you know basically fry your brain by shooting some kind of a vibration at, at you and so it's true that you, you've got to have a, a non-physical mold, so to speak, of some kind within which the physical matter can reform and reshape itself, something that holds it into place. And so these tones are already all around us, but we just can't usually perceive them. I guarantee you the tone made by a $100 bill, it's there. You just can't usually hear it. What I'm trying to do is find a way of, of playing it almost like that thing is a, is a record and you're putting it into the record player. Right. And then you've, you've essentially captured an image of what that sound looks like. And then you can carry it around in your wallet like my wife and I do. The Mighty Aphrodite has, I think it's the Good Luck Sigil. I have one. Or it might be the Money Sigil. I can't remember. This was quite a while ago. And we, we have it in our wallet. And when we go and buy our lottery tickets now... We haven't won the big one, but uh, we always win either a free ticket or $2 here, $5 there. But mainly we get the free ticket. You know, what I find is that these things are interesting because they sort of have the ability perhaps to change your entire relationship with that thing that you're trying to tap into so you know it's like gambling again it's it's an easy reference point but it's it's i i always tell people that 
it's not a very accurate one, however, because gambling is is a game, you know, and there are certain rules and there's a certain mindset associated with that. But the idea of abundance is what you're really shooting for, you know, having opportunities appear, having a feeling that of, of wealth, uh, being in that, you know, that vibe, so to speak, that brings wealth to you in, in a more consistent manner. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I that day I, I had, you know, an extra 1700 bucks of in my in my wallet, which was great, you know, a little extra spending money before I got on the plane, but that's not going to change my life. And so, what you really want to do is is think about um, this as a concept you can incorporate on a day to day basis into how you know you have this whole outlook, this general outlook of the world, and um, and if anything, it at least makes you a little more aware of opportunities that you may not have uh, have paid much attention to before. Joshua P. Warren, my guest, will come back and uh, we'll talk about, uh, well, something called the Miraculous Prayer Board on the other side. Incidentally, the website, if you want to check out these sigils and hear what they sound like, you can go to freecharm.com, www.freecharm.com, and uh, you can click on the sigils page sigils and they're right there back with more in a moment right here on the conspiracy show stay with us Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Kalo Pasca, Christos Anesti, Alitos Anesti. Christ is risen, indeed, he is risen. A blessed Easter. To my Orthodox Christian friends, family, and listeners. Uh, Owen Wolf is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream and YouTube channel producer. Now, there is no live stream tonight. That will return next week. So be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And that way you'll get notifications when we go live. Incidentally, uh, in addition to the conspiracy show, this radio program. You can also find episodes of my podcasts, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone and Conspiracy Unlimited, which we upload to the YouTube channel. Coming up in the second hour, paranormal investigator and researcher Joshua P. Warren will be here to discuss parasymatics and sigils. Now, this hour, 
What does the Bible say about the Antichrist, his tactics, and his motivation? Will we know where he has left his fingerprints? What do Muslims, Jews, and Christians believe about the end times? And will the Antichrist work through modern technology, especially artificial intelligence, to take over? Mark Biltz is founder of El Shaddai Ministries in Washington State. He's a well-known and popular commentator on the Feasts of the Lord and has produced a series of DVDs on the feasts that have gone around the world. He's also the author of Blood Moons and God's Daytimer. His latest is Decoding the Antichrist and the End Times. Pastor Mark Biltz, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hey, doing great, Richard. So thankful that you allowed me to be back on your program. We've reached you in Tennessee at a conference. Just tell me a little bit about what's going on down there. Yes, we're having a a prophecy conference. Uh, The speakers are Perry Stone and Jonathan Kahn and uh, Bill Cloud, Joel Richardson, and myself. Uh, There's about 4,800 people here, and it is exciting. It's going great. Decoding the Antichrist and the End Times, what the Bible says and what the future holds. Just take a few moments and tell us what does Revelation uh, and what does the Old Testament tell us about the Antichrist? Okay, sure. Great question. The, the amazing thing about the book of Revelation, since you brought that up, is the fact that most people don't know there's over 600 references to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. So it's hard to understand Revelation when we uh, don't see all the connections back. I mean, the Apostle John was Jewish, for heaven's sake, and everything he had in his Revelation was drawn from uh, what he read. And uh, the amazing thing that uh, that I see in the connection here is uh, in the Apostle John's writings and in Paul's writing, it talks about how there were many antichrists in his day, and he says they came out from among us. And in Paul, uh, he says in his epistles that the uh, Satan comes as an angel of light and his ministers as angels of righteous, ministers of righteousness. So uh, what I see what's fascinating and uh, looking at the New Testament and the connections is could the Antichrist, instead of being some heathen or a Muslim or a Jew, be a professing believer? I mean, after all, the devil already has the world deceived. He's trying to deceive the Christians. Right, right. But he will also, he will also deceive uh, Muslims. He will convince them. Oh he's, yeah, he, he's the twelfth Imam. He will convince uh, the Jews that he is their Messiah. He will convince Christians he is uh, the second coming of of Christ. How will he do yeah, that? Exactly. How, how will he do that? Well, one thing that I find fascinating is you know in, uh, when you, uh, in the book I talk about. Uh, the Islamic view of end times, the Jewish view of end times, as well as the Christian view of end times. And I don't believe the Antichrist is going to come across as a, a, you know, a demon with horns and a pitchfork. Uh, the two witnesses, and now I'm not saying exactly who they are, but many people think it's going to be Moses and Elijah. Well, guess what? The Jews believe in two witnesses and Moses and Elijah coming back as well. So one thing that I thought would be fascinating, uh, and they're supposed to ballot it out, uh, because Moses and Elijah, or the two witnesses, uh, get killed, and they lay in the streets for three days or so, and then they're resurrected again. Well, I think the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to come as if they are the real Moses and Elijah, and the other ones are the 
Antichrist and the false prophet. So everyone's going to have to decide when they see these people, they're battling it out. Who is the good guys and who's the bad guys? Do we get a physical description of the Antichrist in Revelation? Uh, not necessarily. You do in Islam. In Islam, uh, it's called the Dajjal, uh, and, and they give a physical description. Uh, but as far as uh, in the book of Revelation, more th- rather than a image profile, it's uh, ethics profile. You know, uh, we need to profile the modus operandi of the Antichrist. And I think the New Testament, uh, as well as the Old Testament, gives us a good profile. Uh, instead of trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, we need to profile his activity, and that'll help us identify him. But but I, we can infer that he's going to be probably handsome and charismatic, right? Oh, I think he'll not only be very handsome and charismatic, I think he'll be very famous. I think he'll be very wealthy. I think he'll have uh, some big political power as well. That's why it'll be so deceptive. And the timing... Yes. And, and oh, let me ask you this about... Uh, there is made mention of the Antichrist receiving a mortal head wound and then resurrecting. Talk to me about that. Right. Now, one thing that uh, I propose in my book, too, which is kind of interesting, is could the Antichrist be some kind of human cyborg? I mean, they're they're talking about transhumanism now and and people, the brain chips that can go in your head and give you wireless access to the Internet. Uh, You can simply think about something and find the answer to it. I would not be surprised if the Antichrist had some kind of uh, computer enhancements uh, to himself as well, and he'll he'll receive a head wound. It implies, and he'll come back to life. I'm I'm not sure, you know exactly how that's going to happen, but I I strongly believe that he very well could be a uh, human cyborg type of antichrist. Hmm. Well, I, I want to circle back to that a little bit later and talk about artificial intelligence and perhaps even the transhumanist movement and how that might play into end times. But uh, what sort of feats will the Antichrist perform uh, in order to convince people that he is, in fact, you know, the Messiah? Well, one thing that's interesting is when you read about uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet, one of the things they'll be doing is bringing fire down from heaven. Well, see, that's what Elijah did. Elijah brought fire down from heaven. Uh, And when you read about the two witnesses, the two witnesses come across as the global terrorists. Because the two witnesses, which are supposed to be the godly ones, they're stopping water. They're bringing plagues, you know, turning water to blood. Uh, And then so when the false prophet and Antichrist come on the scene and destroy him, Many will believe that they are the Moses and Elijah, and they stop these two terrorists. Uh, so there's going to be all kinds of miracles that are going to be taking place by both uh, the Antichrist, the false prophet, as well as the two witnesses. They'll be doing all kinds of miracles. And how will he, do you suppose, first make his uh, entrance onto the world stage? I think his entrance is going to be in killing the uh, the two witnesses. I well, as far as that's what how will really be known. I mean, he could be alive and well now, you know. But uh, I, I think one of the things that's going to happen that what we see in Revelation first is these two witnesses who are causing all this devastation, and then we read how uh, the one that ascends from the bottomless pit kills them, 
And then comes the last half of the tribulation where all hell breaks loose. Of course, the first half, even though it's supposed to be a time of peace and safety, uh, if that's when the two witnesses are witnessing, they're going to be bringing some devastation to the world. But do you have any sense of whether he will come from the realm of uh, business or government, or will he be a, a, a religious figure? I think he'll be the, the Antichrist will probably be from business, government, uh, but the false prophet would be more from uh, religion. Uh, that he'll end up overthrowing. So the the false prophet is he sort of the equivalent or the antithesis of um, uh, of uh, John uh, John the forerunner. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, a very good uh, play, Richard. I think that very well could be. He's the one that wants to introduce the Antichrist. He's the one who makes this image, you know, also of the beast and wants everyone to worship him. Uh, so I think the the prophet will definitely be a religious person, you know, is going to be the Antichrist sidekick, so to speak. You know, for many, many years, and I, I go back about 20, uh, almost 30 years in, in talk radio, I started out as a producer, booking guests on various uh, talk radio programs. And I remember way back in the early 90s, there was a gentleman by the name of Benjamin Krem. And uh, he was, uh, he wanted to get on any radio station that would have him to talk about this figure called the Maitreya. And uh, he supposedly was um, uh, of Middle Eastern descent, born in, I believe, East London. And uh, I am told had sort of a, some sort of an, a position at the United Nations. And uh, I talked to a lot of evangelicals who believed that the Maitreya may be the Antichrist and that Benjamin Krem was sort of the the false prophet. Did you ever hear about Krem and, and the Maitreya and what are your thoughts? Yes, uh, I, I never studied it a whole lot. I, I am familiar with what you're talking about, but not in great detail. Uh, and, and for me, in, in my book, I don't really try to identify the Antichrist, who it is, as well as look at the Antichrist system. The Antichrist system, that's interesting. Um, so there have been more than one, right? Who were? Who oh my were, goodness! Yeah. Who were some of the earlier antichrists? Well, it depends on how far back you want to go. I mean, a lot of people thought it was Mussolini. Some thought it was Hitler. Some thought it was Obama. Some thought it was Trump. I mean, Henry Kissinger. I mean, all those. But if you want to go way back, two thousand years ago, the Apostle John in his writing says there were many antichrists back then, and he said they went out from among us. And so that's why I believe that uh, the Antichrist can end up being a professing Christian, because, uh, you know, even Paul, they're transformed into ministers of righteousness. Satan comes as an angel of light. Uh, and so there there have been uh, Antichrists for the last several thousand years. But I think what we have to be aware of is what I uh, call legalized lawlessness. And, and that's what, what uh, the Antichrist system is. Does, when the Antichrist... Um, enters the world stage, onto the world stage, will he be aware that he is the Antichrist? Will he be conscious of that? You know, that's an excellent question, Richard. I almost wonder if he won't realize it until after he sees the mortal wound and is resurrected, and that's when he becomes the Antichrist. Ah, upon his resurrection. Fascinating. So, set the table here in terms of the the tribulation 
walk us through that and to the well to its conclusion with the apocalypse. Well, sure. I, you know, I believe from the book of Daniel, there's a seven year tribulation uh, that has yet to come a final week. Uh, I believe the first half uh, there, there will be a false peace, but at the same time, that's when you're going to have the two witnesses that are, uh, you know, killing people that come against them. But then after the three and a half years, that's when the, you know, any Christ comes up out of the abyss, you know, and possesses the, uh, I believe, uh, and the false prophet comes and they kill the two witnesses. And that's when all hell breaks loose for the last three and a half years. But tell me about that. Until the oh. Battle of Armageddon. Right. Tell me about this false peace. Sure. Uh, I mean, what's, what's fascinating is here we're about to have revealed in the next month, for heaven's sake, a, a new peace agreement in the Middle East. And everyone's, uh, you know, talking about, okay, what's in this Middle East? peace agreement? Will it be a two-state solution? Uh, what will happen? Is, is this the final seven-year peace agreement that's about to be signed? Well, uh, for me, I want to see the contents, and evidently they're supposed to release it in June. They're waiting for two things. They're waiting for Ramadan to end, and they're waiting for pres- uh, uh, Netanyahu to form his government. Uh, and once those two things are done, that's when they're going to release the peace agreement. Uh, and so I think we'll know a little bit more about that. But I think the, the false peace is going to be creating uh, either a two-state solution or giving away of the promised land. And in the end times, talk to me about what is prophesied about uh, who will align themselves against Israel. Uh, interesting point. I think a lot of the nations are going to align themselves against Israel. And as a matter of fact, when you talk about the Gog-Magog war, they point out that in Hebrew, every letter is also a numerical value. And the very Hebrew word Gog and Magog has a numerical value of 70. And there are 70 nations uh, that uh, God had formed in Genesis 10. And so, uh, you know, and Joel, I think it talks about all nations coming against Israel. So uh, there's a chance that every nation could come against Israel at the last time. And what are you seeing presently uh, in the headlines to indicate that, that this is moving forward? You mentioned the, the proposed peace talks uh, the, and the agreement that's going to be unveiled in June, or at least the negotiating points. And I, I believe it's uh, the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's really kind of taking the lead on that. But what other uh, things in the headlines, stories in the headline do you look at? to suggest that that countries are aligning against Israel, for example, including, let's say, Russia, China. Yeah, yeah, it is huge. Uh, What's going on in Syria, that's the key right now, is what's happening there. Uh, And Lebanon with Hezbollah. Uh, There's some very interesting things. I know a major in the IDF who's in charge of the northern border, and he and I were having a discussion and one of the things that uh, that he talked about is back in 2006 in the Lebanon war, they only had about 10,000 missiles, Hezbollah did. Now they have 250,000 missiles. Uh, and back then, most of their missiles were stupid, dumb missiles. Now they have about 100,000 smart missiles. And so Israel has two concerns. One of them is they can't be the nice humanitarian response like they did in the past, where they could warn everybody, they could call the Arabs and say, bombs are coming, please move, or 
you know, hey, there's missiles in this building. We're going to attack it. Please move. They're not going to have that ability now. And they, they really believe this time they're, they're going to have to destroy Lebanon, Syria, Iran, no holes barred, just because uh, they don't uh, have the ability to with enough of the Iron Dome missiles to shoot down the other ones. But the, the other biggest fear he mentioned, uh, I don't know how much you know about the Islamic view of end times, but uh, many believe that they bring their Messiah or Mahdi by launching a war against Israel. Well, Hasran Nasrallah, the head of Lebanon, is basically on his deathbed. He's got cancer. He had a heart attack. You have Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran, who's like 80 years old, on his deathbed. Uh, they both want to go down in history as the one who brought on the Mahdi. So they want to purposely cause a war, you know, as their dying declaration. And so this is Israel's concern. Now, I mentioned Jared Kushner, who is uh, sort of the point man uh, for, for the United, for the Trump administration on negotiating. Uh, I mean, one could easily argue that the Trump administration has been the greatest friend to Israel that that uh, they've had in, in the United States. Uh, so surely uh, Jared Kushner wouldn't be negotiating a false peace or would he? Well, see, that's the thing. Uh, when you look at the Jews and the different administrations, some of the Jews are very secular. They're, they're not religious at all. Now, Jared is religious, but they're all politicians, you know, and I don't know how much they really know the Bible. Uh, but uh, if, if they want to divide the land of Israel, if they create a two-state solution, then it's no holes barred. Look out. Judgment is coming. Uh, but it, so far, it seems to be, like you said, though, they don't want a two-state solution. They say it's dead. So there's still yet maybe hope. But I hope they don't put a capital in East Jerusalem. They're talking about making all of the Palestinians give them Jordanian citizenship or Egyptian citizenship. Uh, and so they'll just be uh, legal resi- foreign residents of Israel. They, they won't be able to vote in the Israeli elections. They just become citizens of another country, but they get to live in Israel. And, and, and do, you, do you think that sort of arrangement would be conducive to a real peace or would that lead to a false peace? Oh, I think it'll lead to a false peace. I, I really do. Uh, so what we'll have to see, I, personally, I think what we're going to see, and you know, I'm not going to, I'm not prophesying. I'm just saying there's probably an 80% chance in the next year and a half, you're going to see a major war in the Middle East between Iran, Lebanon, Syria, and Israel. The, the uh, desecration uh, of the, um, you know, the Holy of Holies, the yeah. Antichrist okay. will, will walk into the third temple and proclaim himself to be the Messiah. Uh, talk to me about, you know, what what that signifies and what, what will happen as a result. Sure. One thing, I mean, whenever you talk about Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 24, everyone knows that's end time talk. Well, what most people don't know, because most Christians don't know the Jewish roots, Matthew 24 is Hanukkah happening all over again. And it was at Hanukkah around 168 B.C., that they put an abomination of desolation into the temple. They put a statue of Zeus. And 168 years later, Josephus even said that was the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. But what we have to realize is that which has happened in Ecclesiastes 1.9, it says that which has happened is that which will happen again. There's nothing new under the sun. 
And so in Matthew 24, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, if you know Hanukkah, you're reading everything he's talking about happened at Hanukkah 168 years earlier. So the disciples are all going, oh, my goodness, Hanukkah is going to happen again. Abomination of desolation we put back in the temple again. And, of course, that happened in 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. Uh, but see, history repeats itself. And so I see uh, there's a good chance that if not a temple, a synagogue will be built on the Temple Mount here probably within the next couple of years as part of the peace agreement. And talking to another Jewish rabbi, I don't want to mention any names in Israel, they had mentioned that one of the parts of this peace agreement, they may take the Temple Mount uh, control away from Jordan and give it to Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> now, that would be interesting. And they, Saudi Arabia may allow them to put a synagogue there. And of course, you don't need a temple to do like the Passover sacrifices. So uh, we'll just kind of watch and see how it all unfolds. When we come back, we'll talk about the Antichrist and artificial intelligence in a little more detail. Pastor Mark Biltz, my guest, the author of Decoding the Antichrist and the End Times, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Decoding the Antichrist and the End Times, author, Pastor Mark Biltz, my guest here on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, the Antichrist and artificial intelligence, that's obviously a, a, a primary focus in the book. And we, we touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, you, you had mentioned that the Antichrist might, in fact, be part human, part machine, a cyborg. And I'm wondering when I hear that, it reminds me very much of uh, the transhumanist movement and people like Ray Kurzweil, who, who in their quest for virtual immortality want to merge man and machine. If you do that, if you, if you sort of join a league with the transhumanist movement, would that, in your estimation, be like taking the mark of the beast? Is that what that is? I think it's definitely a step toward it, most certainly. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, he, the way he looks at it, he, he's afraid of the AI robots taking over the world against humans. So he's just saying humans have to uh, incorporate and merge with AI computers in order to combat the AI robot. And so for him, it, it's like uh, he's even warning that an AI dictator could control mankind. Exactly what I'm talking about in my book he's come up with. Uh, and, and so they have brain chips right now. They want to put in people's brains where they can hook up wirelessly to the Internet. They can just think a thought. And they could find the answer from the brain chip in their head. It's crazy. And you mention also um, things like Alexa and Siri. Alexa, of oh course, is in the yeah. in the home where you can say, "Alexa, you know, turn on the lights." It can control your your home. It can it can search the internet for you. Uh, is is Alexa and Siri, which you know I have on my my Apple phone. I don't use it a lot, but I have used Siri to look up, let's say, the latest baseball score or something. Is is that satanic in your estimation? No, I don't, I don't think anything is satanic, but I think it could be used. Uh, just like a knife can be used to kill someone or to save their life, taking out their appendix. Uh, the Internet can be a huge blessing or it can be a huge curse. 
you know, so it depends on the motivation and the intent. But right now, I'm sure, Richard, you've heard of these cars that run by computers. Uh, you don't need a driver. And the whole purpose would be like a Uber where you can get in the back of this taxi that's run by a computer and it drives the route that you say. Well, here's the problem. They've decided that this uh, robotic machine that's driving your car for you needs to have morals. And the reason these have morals is because if a deer is running across the road, the computer has to decide who to kill. Does it kill the deer? Does it swerve over to the sidewalk and kill pedestrians? Or does it take the passenger over the cliff and kill them? And so, wow, when you realize that they're creating a moral computer with those kinds of decisions, and then you see in America where they decide that a, a wall on the southern border is immoral, but infanticide is okay, who wants that morality deciding if you die, you know, rather than running over a deer? Right, right. The other interesting thing is we have um, all of these uh, new forms of, of uh, a payment, like PayPal, and yeah. uh, we have certain individuals now uh, being banned, basically from being able to to earn revenue through PayPal because people don't like their 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 points of view. Even we have banks turning people away, saying we don't want to do business with you. And in in some cases, these these people are are Christians. They're simply upholding a conservative viewpoint. Uh, is what, what do you make of that? I mean, is does that is that prophesied at all in the Bible? I don't know about being well. In, in one sense, part way, but that's what I just talked about at the Perry Stone Conference. I just got into talking about that. How Christians, conservatives, are going to be blacklisted with the banks, blacklisted with PayPal. We're a non-profit organization, and we receive payments from PayPal, and PayPal has no competition. If they wanted, they could just cut out all of our revenue, you know, from that source. Uh, and, and then going back to Alexa and Siri, not only do they create a moral AI for your uh, car, they're creating a moral AI in the Siri and Alexa in your home. So that there's a news article where if all of a sudden you say, you know, to your son, Johnny, you better go to bed or I'm going to spank you. Siri or Alexa will call 911 and report you. And the next thing you know, the police will be at your door. Oh, my God. That's chilling. Absolutely chilling. I know. So this is part of the Antichrist system, then, that you talk about. That's my point, yes. And it's all about legalized lawlessness. They believe if they just make something illegal, legal, that justifies it. Let's uh, legalize prostitution. Let's legalize drugs. Let's legalize, you know, uh, infanticide. And so now it's okay. And and the parallel in... in um the Old Testament to what's happening now. I mean, I've often I've, I've talked to Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, who you mentioned was at the uh, was at the conference you're speaking with. We talked about the parallels between uh, or the paradigm he calls it between uh, Jezebel in the uh, the Northern uh, Kingdom of Israel and Hillary sure. Clinton, for example. So when you see what's going on today, uh, what is the parallel in ancient biblical times? Well, I can't help but think of uh, the book of Esther and Haman. Uh, they were a very lawful society, but they decided themselves, hey, let's make a law that men can drink all they want. Uh, let's make a law that we can confiscate Vashti's estate. 
uh, let's make a law for genocide. We just need to make it legal to kill all the Jews, and then it's okay. So it's a repetition of that legalized lawlessness uh, that happens over and over. I mean, look at some of the nations, like in Saudi Arabia, I just read today, they beheaded a 16-year-old for complaining about something on WhatsApp. Uh, so, I mean, it's just barbaric. But they, they make it legal, then it's okay. What is the timing? Uh, how close are we getting to the beginning of the tribulation, the seven-year period? I wouldn't be surprised if it took place, with, if it began in the next couple of years. Is there kind of a biblical clock that you look to? Oh, my goodness, yes, definitely. And I'm glad you brought that up, Richard, because a lot of people, you know, they look at what it says in Matthew 24, how this generation will not pass away until all is fulfilled. And they wonder, well, how long is a generation? That's the big test. Well, I tell you what, the Bible has, you know, different views of how long a generation is. But uh, some people say Noah in his day was 120 years. Uh, and then with Abraham, it was 100 years that they would be in uh, – 400 years, I mean, so 100 year would be a generation. And then Psalm says 70 years is a generation, and some people say a jubilee year is a generation. Well, guess what? Every one of those four generations were all fulfilled this last year. It was 120 years ago was the first Zionist Congress. 100 years ago was the Balfour Declaration, saying there needed to be a Jewish state. 70 years ago, Israel became a nation. 50 years ago, Jerusalem was recaptured. So in one sense, like four cherries on a slot machine, everything is coming to pass. All these generations are being fulfilled uh, just this last year. And then the ultimate one is Psalm 102. This is where uh, the Bible says when the Lord builds up Zion, that's when he will appear in his glory. Well, the building up of Zion is what's happening right now, all the settlements. That's what all the Arabs are upset about is all the settlements. And so uh, the next verse in that psalm says, this is being written for the generation to come. Well, in Hebrew, that word is akaron, which means the last generation, the terminal generation. And so we see ever since uh, Israel captured Jerusalem in 67, that Zion's being built up. And so that generation is the terminal generation. So I believe we're right there. Uh, President Trump recently uh, suggested, you know, that the United States should recognize uh, the Golan Heights as Israel's uh, territory. This was territory that they conquered in in uh, in 1967. It has great strategic importance because uh, it was kind of a launching pad for the Syrians during the uh, the Six Day War. Uh, and of course, it's a mountainous area that overlooks a number of Jewish settlements. So it is of great strategic importance. Uh, if the United States were to recognize the Golan Heights as as part of uh, Israeli territory, um, is it, is that is that prophesied also in the Bible? Well, uh, the Bible does prophesy that Israel is going to get all their land back. So, in one sense, uh, yes. Uh, one of the interesting things, I think it's in Zechariah one and two, where it talks about the Gaza Strip. Uh, how Israel will forsake the Gaza Strip, the Arabs will take it over, but then God's going to bring some time a, a kind of a tsunami or earthquake or something, and they'll all be removed, and then Judah or Israel will get that territory back. Uh, and as far as timing goes, get, and tied to the book of Revelation, get a load of this, Richard, the, the, whole, the four horsemen of Revelation 6 is uh, also talked about in Zechariah 6. 
And in Zechariah 1, it talks about the red horse of war. And guess when the vision of the red horse of war took place in Zechariah 1? It was at the end of the 70 years of the Babylonian captivity, at the end of the second year of Darius. Well, here we are. Look at this pattern. We just ended the 70th year of Israel being a nation, and we just ended the second year of Trump's administration, who is considered a type of Cyrus who wants to, you know, rebuild the temple and, and all of this. So, again, as far as the timing and the patterns, there, there's a good chance we could see the Red Horse of War take place this year or next. Let's uh, take a quick time out. We'll come back. Maybe we can talk about the other three horsemen of the apocalypse and times and uh, decoding the Antichrist with Pastor Mark Biltz right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Pastor Mark Biltz, my guest, the author of Decoding the Antichrist and the End Times, What the Bible Says and What the Future Holds. You mentioned uh, one of the four horsemen, uh, and this was the uh, the red horseman of war. Uh, talk to me about the other three horsemen that appear on the scene during the end times. Sure. Uh, well, in Revelation 6, it's a different order than it is in uh, Zechariah 6. In Revelation, the first one you have is the the white horse uh, where there's a like a king on it so with a, a bow and he's coming forth to conquer you know so that is the first one uh and then you also have uh the black horse which is like famine and death you know so that's also coming and and i see there's a good chance things like that i mean when you look at uh, some of these plagues that are already taking place my goodness uh, you have uh, Ebola is on the rise, measles is on the rise, uh, all of these things. Uh, and then, of course, you have, uh, I'm, I'm here right now in Revelation 6. <clears throat> so, yeah, the first one was white. The second one uh, is the red horse of war. Uh, and then it has the third one uh, is the black horse. And then uh, finally, there is a, a, another one. Uh, and uh, when he opens that, it's like a pale horse with death and hell following him. Uh, and so a fourth part of the earth is killed, the sword and famine and death and all the wild beasts of the earth. So uh, I think that always follows war. You're going to find uh, when there's no food, uh, people are going to have famine. Then there's going to be death and the wild beasts going to look for people to eat. But uh, I, I believe the red horse is going to come first, as according to Zechariah, which is the red horse of war. And are those precursors uh, to the the final battle of Armageddon? I think they they could be the beginning of the seven year tribulation. I think that, I think they'll take place over the seven years. All four horses. Uh, I don't know if there's like a year or two in between each one or what. But uh, I see them uh, transpiring from the beginning all the way through. And, and those are just metaphors, or are they? I, will there literally be, will people literally see, uh, you know, a pale horseman? Right. 
well, it could be both. You know, what's fascinating, Richard, is that, you know, in Christianity, many people think there's only one correct answer. In Judaism, there's 70 answers. There's seven different layer, layers, kind of like if you're on the ocean, some are seeing the ocean from the boat, some from, you know, swimming, some from snorkeling, and some from deep sea diving. Well, the Bible is the same way. There can be many levels of interpretation. I think some of it is allegorical, uh, but then also some of it could be, you know, physical. Uh, and so for me, it's rather than being set and it has to be this way or that way, I just keep my eyes open for all possibilities. Some there is a school of thought that the the end times, the you know, the battle of the final battle of good and evil will be very localized. It will be localized to the Holy Land, the Middle East. Others think it will be worldwide. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's both. I think the focus will definitely be uh, the Middle East, but I think the consequences will be worldwide. But the Bible says in Zechariah 14 that many nations are going to survive all this. There will be humans who survive the tribulation. And in Zechariah 14, it says, then all the nations that have survivors, they have to come up every year to keep the Feast of Tabernacles around September, October. Otherwise, they'll get the plague and no rain. So uh, I believe overall, the focus will be the Middle East, and yet there'll be consequences worldwide. And when the, the at the height of the tribulation, uh, you know, when we go through what's, what are called Jacob's troubles. Yes. Uh, Paint me a picture, horrific as it might be. Well, Jacob uh, is another name for Israel. Jacob became Israel. Now, some uh, Orthodox Jews I talked to said Jacob's troubles already happened as far as they concerned, and that was Hitler and the Holocaust. And so now it's the Gentiles' turn. Uh, but I, I believe that uh, while that may very well be true, uh, Jerusalem still is going to be trampled under feet uh, by the Gentiles, and there's still another major problem coming to Israel as God cleanses that nation. So, uh, you know, I see that happening. But in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, and, and the final battle of, of good and evil, between good and evil, uh, what, kind of, what kind of forces, uh, you know, are going to be battling? Not just flesh and bone, obviously. Oh, my goodness, yeah, because what's on earth is patterned after what's in the heavenlies. I believe there's a big battle that's going to be going on in the heavenlies, and then we're going to see the physical manifestation uh, here on earth, and it's going to be a matter of uh, an earthly kingdom versus God's heavenly kingdom, uh, and he's coming on earth to rule and reign for a thousand years, uh, and so all the nations will uh, be put into subjection to him very shortly. All right, we'll take one final time out, come back, and finish up with Mark Biltz, the author of Decoding the Antichrist, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Mark Biltz is with me, the author of Decoding the Antichrist and the End Time. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.